I used to kind of challenge myself and I had, a, had one mantra back there, you know, do one thing every day that scares you. She looked at me about two hours later and she said, I can't believe you. And I'm like, what? And she goes, you just told me exactly how much money the company lost and you're here enjoying yourself and like having gin and tonic or whatever. And I'd forgotten about it. Hi, my name is John O'Driscoll, and you are very welcome to the Blueprint Podcast. Ask yourself one question. Have you a blueprint for success? Are you doing all you can do to get where you want to be? Join me and my guests each week as we discuss their blueprint for success. Please drop us a like or a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple, Google, and please give us a five out of five star rating. It does really help. Thank you so much. So this week's episode of the Blueprint Podcast, I'm delighted to welcome the CEO and founder of VitHit, Gary Levin. Gary, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate it. Looking forward to chatting. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Gary, we just spoke briefly off air. A rugby career that unfortunately was finished by, I believe, a knee injury. How does one go from that to launching a, a multi-million euro vitamin drink? I look back on it and I see it as a fortunate injury because I was never going to be Brian O'Driscoll. I was a centre. Played a few caps for Leinster when rugby went professional. Um, I got a contract with Harlequins. And in pre-season training, I got injured. And it was the first year of professionalism, as I said, so I didn't have a contract. So they basically just said, listen, um, your injury is not getting any better. We've got a couple of rugby league guys coming down uh, from the North, superstars at the time. And you were the last in, so you're first to go. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming. And that was, I think it was 1995. And I remember I'd been always been interested in my own business. And I'd been buying and selling proteins. I was actually the first guy to bring creatine into Ireland, um, which I think even now people are really seeing the benefits of creatine. They're actually starting to give it to women and men for aging and that kind of stuff. But back then it was just purely to maintain and put on muscle. And I sold it to the Irish rugby team back in the day and a lot of professional teams. So I was kind of tinkering with the small business while I was doing it. And I felt like a bit of a fraud because I was playing rugby, which is what I loved, and suddenly getting paid for it. And then when I got injured, I remember it was a big shock to me. And I remember walking from Harlequins um, across the flyover into the, the guts of Twickenham. And I was just walking around because I had nothing to do and I had nowhere to go. And I was a little bit uh, disconsolate. And I remember saying to myself, I'm never going to let anybody be the bearer of that kind of bad news again. So from that point, I decided to go full time into my own business. I still played a bit of rugby, but was nothing to that extent. My my opportunities to rise in rugby had were gone. I was twenty four. When I look back now, I suppose I was young enough. Uh, but I thought if I hadn't got capped, which was my dream at twenty four, um, I figured I probably wasn't going to. So I just pushed myself into rugby and have myself here arranged a business, and I have myself here today now. You obviously come from an entrepreneurial background. Uh, your mother, Jackie, would be quite a well-known entrepreneur. I believe your father had a number of pubs in Dublin. There was obviously an entrepreneurial flair burning within you. Yeah, no, definitely. And the one thing um, which I didn't realize is that not everybody is like this. When I was younger, I thought it was a natural thing. 
because my parents had always given me a lot of confidence to do whatever I wanted. And it was never a barrier for me to go into my own business. It was just an obvious thing. And, you know, people said to me, gosh, it was it was brave to go and do your and go into your own business. And I actually think it was the opposite. It would have been brave for me to go to college and try an engineering degree because that's the opposite of who I am. It was the easy road for me in some respects. Now it became very difficult. I went through a lot of hardships. But I was naive and I suppose you're better off being young and naive. And but I think as a parent now I think not only tell you, everyone tells their kids they can do everything, but it's the top, let's say, 15% of parents who truly believe it um, when it comes to business. And because you want the best for your kids. And, you know, if you've gone through a steady career of school, college, into a career, uh, whether it be, you know, you want to be a doctor, engineer, whatever, that's an understandable pathway to want for your children. I have a friend of mine who's a doctor and he really wants his two kids to go become a doctor and one of them is becoming one and one of them isn't. Mm. And he's kind of concerned. And I'm like, listen, there's no concern. There's no worries. Your kid will just be, be just fine because people are designed in various different ways. So I'm, I'm really interested in that whole parenting thing, depending on what kids you have, what way you push them and what way you help them uh, go in, it, in directions. But it, it worked for me. Um, and uh, I think the other thing when I was young is being successful at rugby or, or any sport. It gave me self-belief as well on top of my parents telling me I could do everything and on top of them being entrepreneurs. When you are successful at rugby as a young age, you naively think you can take on the world and do anything. And that was probably what I had inside. I'm a big fan of entrepreneurism. I've read a lot of books, I watch a lot of programs, and one of my favorite would be Dragon's Den. I say one of the most turned down businesses is businesses in the food and drink space. You see people coming in and they pitch businesses the whole time. And it's it's so hard to to break into that market. How do you think you have succeeded with Vitit, which has become you know um, really well established in Australia, Britain, obviously Ireland, uh, Dubai. I was reading online that Iceland is a, it's really popular in Iceland. Like, how do you break into a market against so many big players? That's the million dollar question, I suppose, or the billion dollar question. It definitely is um, extremely high attrition rate to the drinks business and food business um, because so many angles have been taken now. Like at least when I started, there was an angle of healthy, low sugar, low calorie drink, and no one else had done it. A few others have tried to go that route, but the basic to bring it down to real basics: if you were to start today, your product has to look good taste good and be good. And those three things together, you need those three ingredients. If you don't have them, you're, it's impossible. So to look good, it's got to look like an, an honest, modern, uh, how would I put it? Like I always use the word slick, but it, you've got to have a brand that is trustworthy and, and, and it's something that people will aspire to. And that's really hard to get. You've got to have a brand name that tells what it is because I don't have the money like Procter & Gamble to tell people that's full of vitamins. So, you know, if I was to call it... Um, iPod <laughs> drinks, right? You're not going to know that there's vitamin drinks and vitamins in there. Um, so that's the one thing. Then the taste has to be as good as sugary drinks. You're not going to get people to, to shift across. And uh, then it's got to be good. You've got like once someone takes a drink, tastes, thinks it looks good, and they look in the back, if it's full of nasty ingredients, you're not going to continue to do that. So that's the basis of it. The other kind of unknown ingredient, I guess, is resilience. Like entrepreneurs are well known for getting kicked. And I think that's where sports comes in. I was dropped. I got injured, you know, uh, lost a lot of games. You just get used to losing and you've got to 
train yourself to get back up again. So when you are faced with extreme adversity, which I was um, many years ago, and for many years, um, I didn't turn a profit for the first seven, eight years of the business. I had solicitors knocking on the door. Um, I was going broke. The business was completely insolvent uh, at one stage. And you've just got to get a reason to get up in the morning and and, and keep fighting. So that kind of fighting spirit, I, I guess I, I took it from sport. So when you have the right product, and it tastes great or whatever, and then you're getting it on the shelves and it starts to sell. That's the most important thing. Um, I, something came across my desk the other day uh, for a potential investment um, in food and drink. And I mean, I'd see 100 brands and there's probably 99 of them I wouldn't like. And this one, actually, the branding was really good, but their distribution and rate of sale wasn't good. And uh, once, you do, once you're not selling in 50 stores to a certain rate, you're not going to sell in a hundred or two hundred or three thousand stores, and it's it's just it's a tough business. I know it's a long answer to your um, short question, and then there's a bit of secret sauce that there's a one percent in there that that nobody can really put their finger on. That ability to find something deep down when the the banks and the solicitors are contacting you and there's no money being drawn. You mentioned there that like you you found some reason to keep going. What was that resilience or what was the catalyst mm. to keep on going and drive through those tough times? Yeah, I always ask myself that. The first thing is I didn't have any dependence. I think it's really tough. It must be virtually impossible when you've got kids uh, and a family. You've got to send them to school. You've got to buy them their school books and pay for their school fees and then feed them. Um, that must be really tough when you're starting out in the business and you have kids. So I didn't have that. It was basically me and... If I was going to get kicked out of my house and lose my mortgage, which I did, it wasn't the end of the world. You've just got to say, you know, keep going, keep going. Also, I think your background of who you hang around with as friends and if you have the right core, people always say, I often listen to entrepreneur talks myself, and they always say, you know, make sure that you hang around with right-minded people. And it's not to say, you know, dump your <laughs> dump your old mates or anything like that, but um all of my friends uh, were at the top in, in their field when they were young. They were all very hardworking people. And, you know, I was the the last one by a long shot, it inverted commas, to actually make it. So I had my group of seven odd friends. You know, one of them was a top solicitor um, in, in London. One of them was an oil trader. Uh, one of them now just retired from a $9 billion uh, turnover company as CEO. And... Um, yeah, I, I, they, they were all doing it and encouraging me. And I don't know, there's kind of an inert competition, competitiveness in me as well. When, when I would see companies like Coca-Cola putting out, and, and Britvick and LucasAid, you know, putting out what I would consider inferior brands to mine, it would just rile me up and I would, I, I'd work harder and get into the next door and just keep pushing, pushing. So I'm definitely competitive and uh, I don't know if I was born that way, but uh, it had come from sport, obviously. Yeah, competition is probably uh, the big drive for me. When, I, when I, I was just in Copenhagen last week and I was walking around and there's a there's a brand that came after us that are doing very well up in Copenhagen. And every store I walked by, it just, <laughs> it upset me, you know. And still to this day, I go into countries and I see brands that, you know, I know that they've got worse ingredients than us and they're not as honest as us and they don't have as, as good products and it just it just winds me up so competitive nature is a very strong thing in any in any entrepreneur i think it was the two and a half thousand stores you drove around to in the early days mm. 
that just shows it's both outside of hard work that you really had confidence that this thing could be a, a behemoth. Yeah, well, it was actually three and a half thousand. I did it in 12 months. Uh, but that's the good side of it. The bad side of it is that I was inert. I'm inertly not a hard worker. I, I you know, I was the guy whose sports kind of came easily to me. And I was the school kid who didn't really work that hard. Um, that whole, so the, the background behind that was I released the product, stuck it on the shelf and, and what I call skipping leg day in the gym. I did all the easy stuff. So I was sitting at home, uh, you know, redesigning the brand, trying to make it look good and tasting the product and making it taste good. But I wasn't doing the really hard stuff, which is outselling. And uh, when the company was going down the tubes, I met with an accountant and she basically said, look, I've met 20 three companies in your situation i've saved one of them it was a garden center and you're going to be the second one i save but you're going to have to let i had three staff out selling on my behalf and she said you're going to have to let them go and she said you're going to have to get your company car yourself and drive around the country and it was literally i think i had to go to the bottom of the bucket uh, i literally had nothing left there was no money left it was all gone for me to actually give me a kick in the rear end and actually get up and start going around and once i did once i actually did that um, and did the hard yards, I started really enjoying it. I loved calling into, into stores, and uh, you're an owner of a company, and you're meeting the owner of the bar store, and they appreciate that. And they'll, you know, if, if it's your own company, and you chat to them in the right, right way and with a bit of respect, they'll always put you on the shelf and give you a shot. And then it's up to you and your brand. If your brand doesn't sell, then unfortunately, it's a tough game. You don't deserve to be there. And, you know, you've got to maybe go get a real job. But yeah, I really started to enjoy selling um, and I'd stay in B&Bs across the country and uh, I used to kind of challenge myself and I had a, had one mantra back there, you know, do one thing every day that scares you because even though I was a never shy person at all, I was quite the opposite, but actually directly walking into a store and selling pers- selling to somebody kind of scared me a little bit. Uh, and once I got over that, that was when the company started to become successful. Is there any one bit of advice you got or there's often a lot of synergy between sport and business and, you know, performance coaching. Was there anything that you think you brought from your, your rugby career into your business career that has proved uh, a kind of a, a vital component? I think if you're a team player, communication is very important. Uh, I think it's really important. Probably the most important thing is to have enough confidence that when you get knocked, like I was about nine months ago, we got some, not terminal news, but bad news from the company. We'd lost a lot of money in, in, in a trade that we had done. And there were, I don't know, the product got stuck in a port. It was going out of date and we were going to have to give it away. And it was significant sum. And I got a call from our CEO, or sorry, from our managing director. And he told me the sum. And I was like, right, okay. I went out for dinner with my wife that night and completely forgot about it. She looked at me about two hours later and she said, I can't believe you. And I'm like, what? And she goes, you just told me exactly how much money the company lost and you're here enjoying yourself and like having gin tonic or whatever. And I'd forgotten about it. And I was like, yeah, I suppose so. And she goes, my God, that's a great skill. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if that came through uh, losing a lot uh, in sport or losing a lot in business in the early days. But if it's not terminal, it doesn't bother me anymore. I literally just, it'll come in one ear. I'll try and fix it and I'll make a few phone calls and try and do what I have to do. But I don't, I don't really take things home with me. I don't take problems home most of the time. I think that is, as an entrepreneur, you're on your own. I think that is the one thing that I'm glad I have, that it doesn't pull me down when things go bad because things go bad all the time in, in, in small to medium businesses. I mean, they don't go, they're not as bad as they used to be. But I mean, once a week we get a phone call with some minor problem, 
you could be stressed out permanently. I mean, I've been in this business for almost 24 years now. And uh, if you let it get to you, I, I wouldn't be here, I'd say. You know, the stress would have killed me. You have to learn learn a way to uh, to be able to channel all that those kind of news bits and that kind of stress. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't get really phased by that kind of stuff. And I think that probably comes to sport. What plans or how, how far can you see Vit hit go? Like, do you want to see mm-hmm. Vit hit in X amount of countries, achieve Y amount of turnover? You know, obviously, most entrepreneurs will have an exit strategy at some stage. My role as a financial advisor, we we exit a lot of businesses, you know, albeit at differing scales along the way. But is there a, a goal or, you know, Jordan Peterson says the, the key is to be 1% better today than we were yesterday. Mm-hmm. Is it small achievable goals or is it big blue sky? Let's take over the drinks business. Yeah, I mean, first of all, if you tell me that we would exceed 20 million you know 10 years ago i i'd say i believed you but i probably wouldn't have um <clears throat> so i think what we do now is so the, our, our next stage so everything is a step step on a ladder similar to what jordan peterson would say so our next stage for us is to double the business and get to 40 within two and a half years that's our that's our plan we probably within three years let's say so then you look at that and it's not to say I don't want to get to 100 million in six years and 250, but I don't. We don't look that far. I, I guess if you were to ask anybody in the Irish rugby team, you know, do they want to win the World Cup? Yes. Are you going to win the World Cup? And they'd say no. We're going to win the next match. So that's kind of the way we think. And we start at the start of every year. We circle a figure and we say, now we'll break down how we're going to get there. You know, is it through expansion or is it through new product development? It's a little bit of both. Our our UK business is probably the biggest focus for us at the moment because we're now the number one health drink in the UK. Our rate of sale is very strong, but we're still only in five or 6,000 stores, whereas let's say the sugary version sold by Britvic or Coca, one of those, is probably doing, gosh, I'd say they're doing it at least 10 times and probably 20 times what we're turning over. So there's so much expansion that we can do in the UK. We're also about to launch into France and Germany as well. That could be construed as being too ambitious in one year, but we think that we have the bandwidth now. And when I say go into the country, you'll be going into, let's say, two retailers and expanding from there. You're not literally doing a full national launch all, all at once because we wouldn't have the, the money for that, the budget for that, because we're still privately owned. And then if you ever look at um, when Coke buy a brand, first thing they'll do, when they bought Innocent years ago, the first thing they do is they started creating new extensions, new line extensions. So they had the little bottle that we don't know, the 250 mil, and then they brought out a kid's range, and they even brought out vegetable pots, and then they brought out lots of different things. And they just expand, expand, expand. And that's the that's the Coke model. Um, and that's something that we're looking at now. We've just released a, a range of kids' drinks, which are all natural, have vitamin D, and 50% RDA of eight vitamins, and 74% less sugar than juice. So when moms and dads are looking for their kids to reduce sugar consumption i think that's a that's a no-brainer so you've got that that's just available across ireland now we're not in the uk with that yet and um, we've brought out um, sparkling cans about two years ago and we've just brought out an effervescent range as well which you can buy online and we're starting to sell them in pharmacies so we're kind of do- doing a lot of um, strands at the same time but the uk is our real focus at the moment and that's where the growth is i think we grew like 45 percent last year we're about 37 percent up this year and we will end up with more growth there 
uh, year on year, probably for the next five or six years, we've got exponential growth there, I think. Any um, plans for celebrity endorsement or a, a sponsorship model? Would Vit hit mm. look good in the front of a, a rugby team or a soccer team? Yeah, it's again, that's kind of partly budget constraints for us because we're privately owned. And even though we've been profitable for probably 10 years, you know, doing one of those mega deals, that I wouldn't say that we'll never do it. Like as in getting a, a worldwide superstar YouTuber like like what Prime did. And the interesting thing is he doesn't own all of that company, the, the Paul um, Logan Paul, I think it is. Um, I think he, I'm not sure his exact percentage, but... And it's a very clever guy from a company called Congo Brands approached him and basically said, look, I'm going to give you ownership of this. You talk about it, you do this, that, and the other. And uh, he owns the majority as far as I know. So, But when you're looking at it, you think that Logan Paul owns it. Um, so it's very clever, very clever business model. And they must have had a lot of money behind it to actually get it to an international level. And it's absolutely killing it at the moment. So would I do something like that? Not at the moment, but you know there are smaller... More, more localized things. We do um, micro-influencers um, online. So we, we target people with, let's say, eight to 20,000 followers because that's the modern way people advertise now. You know, all kids and young people are looking at their phones uh, for information. They don't look at posters. They don't look at newspapers. They don't look at magazines. That traditional print is dead now. So, um, yeah, we target people through that kind of way and we'll, we'll do online ads and that kind of stuff. So it's a slightly different, more focused model. And also because we wouldn't be able to afford the traditional way that all the big companies do it. I'm obviously a financial advisor, financial planner by trade, so it would be remiss of me to not ask you some financial questions. What would you say your worst and best financial decisions have been? Uh, worst financial? I, well, I'd actually say the worst and best thing that ever happened to me was buying shares years ago. Um, I bought uh, Ryan. It was an interesting story, so... I think everybody's got a little bit of a gambler in them, and, and especially, especially when they're younger. So I threw some big money at the time, let's say, I don't know, I think it was like 5,000 euros into uh, Ryanair shares. And I did a thing called a D10, which I'm sure you know about, but your your listeners, um, would basically the financial institution would give you 10 times the amount of cash you had. So I thought this is the greatest thing ever. So I threw them into Ryanair shares and Ryanair shares fell for the first time in like, I don't know, a year or something. And they dropped. And I get this phone call from the financial institution to say, oh, Gary, will you come in with 10 grand cash, please? Because uh, your your uh, account is in arrears. And I was like, oh, mother of God, this is like, I don't know, back in 2003 or 2004 or something. And I didn't have the money and I didn't know what to do. So um, I waited like two or three days. And I remember I was driving on Stevens Green and the guy phoned me. He said, oh, listen, Ryan, our shares have come back up. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Uh, no need to pop in. The first thing I did was I sold the shares. They went right back to their high point where I bought them at. And for like 24 hours there at that point, I sold it. And the thing dropped like a stone. And it would have absolutely ruined me had I had I stayed in. So, so that cut the gambler out of me, which I think is a good thing and I can focus on my business. I've actually only started going back. I'm 52 now and I started going back doing small trades on a Revolution account in the last year. And I'm, and, and I'm gambling while I can afford to lose. Right? So I'm not, it's, not, it's not my primary business. Then. And the best investment decision is probably the, the happy story was I bought property at the right time back in 2001, 2002, and I sold one or two and then used that money to invest in my company and then properties died by 60% back in 07. And I lost everything uh, personally with, with all of that. So that probably was the best thing because I could fund my company 
and which was losing money through the properties that I was buying and selling and put it in there. So of course, Vinted has been my best financial decision. It's everything for me. It is my pension. It's my wages day to day. It's what the family rely on. It's what I rely on. And so it's really, really important to, it's the best, it's the best decision I ever made. It's the best gamble I ever took. Uh, and I'm glad I stuck at it. I'll ask you two further questions if you'll uh, indulge me, because I know you're a busy man. Who would be your business idol or what entrepreneurs would you really admire and why? Yeah, um, there's various different ones, but I've, I've never really been one to kind of follow and idolize people because there's nobody in my space and I'm the type of person that needs to focus in a laser-like fashion. Um, if I look left or look right, I, I tend not to get it done. There, there is someone who I would seek advice with in Ireland. He probably wouldn't want his name mentioned, <laughs> but 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 this is a kind of guy. He's basically an unknown, an unknown guy. He stays under the radar. Um, he's about fifty-five, ex-trendy student. You probably track him down through those algorithms. But he's bought and sold about four different companies. He uh, has a very good lifestyle. He doesn't get too stressed, and he has been through everything. So if ever there's an issue in my company, he's the only guy out there. And I'll go out and play golf with him, and I'll say, listen, this is what's going on. And he'll say, well, I've been there before, and bang, 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 and he'll give me the roots out. And he's always picked the correct decision. Uh, I think it's important for me uh, to get somebody who's close enough that I can literally make a phone call and say, I need to chat to you, mm-hmm. uh, rather than, rather than, and, and you know, I, I'm just going to say rather than the guys who run online and the internet giving advice but i used to read a lot of business books when i was younger because i was a little bit lost and i didn't know what direction i was going in and then eventually when i found my calling to do this business for some reason i stopped actually reading those business books but the best one best business book is how to make friends and influence people by dale carnegie i remember i read that front to back i think gosh i think that's like a 1920s book or something but it still resonates today and someone like that, I, I think he, he had human psychology down to an art. This podcast was born out of my interest in entrepreneurship and personal development and sports people and their own particular blueprint. What would you think your blueprint for success would be? The short answer for me, I think, is resilience. But behind that, you have to have a brand or a product or if it's a restaurant or whatever, that gives people something that they want. Um, I often see some brands release and guys probably with a similar mindset to me are going, yeah, you know, I'm going to break the break the market with this. It's going to be incredible, blah, blah. And I look at the product and I go, just missing something. You have to have an eye, I think. In, certainly in my line of business, like I said back at the start of the podcast, it's got to look great, taste great and be great. If you don't have the look great at the start, and, and actually on the back of that, when I started this business, my, my product didn't look good at all and nobody bought it. And it's the very same product inside it that it was all those years ago. Um, and we're doing many, many multiples of what we used to do. I would probably say resilience, yeah, is probably the, the number one thing that I think an entrepreneur needs. You often hear from guys that are getting kicked when they're down and they say, you know, how did you manage to get back up? It's kind of just, this, I'm not sure what that secret sauce is. It's just pure unadulterated belief i always believed that my product was better than anything out there and uh, i still to this day do because it's what i drink and it's what i give my kids and 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 i think being a salesperson because we all are at heart if you can't truly believe in your product and uh, you don't actually 100 percent 
know in your heart that it is a really good product, I think it's going to be really difficult to sell it. And I think that's probably important as well, that you need to believe in what you're doing. Gary, that was fantastic. I really enjoyed the episode. It's great to see an Irish entrepreneur doing so well. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the Blueprint Podcast and all the best for the future. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, John. Thank you all for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. For more information about me, John O'Driscoll, and my day job as a financial advisor, please visit blueprintfp.ie. For more information on the podcast or to listen to other episodes, please visit the-blueprint.ie. Catch you all in the next episode. Take care.